Welcome to the podcast of Imago Day Community, where we are convicted to help bring the whole gospel to the whole person, to the whole world. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you today. We are in the book of Matthew today, so if you have a Bible, you can turn there. We've been going through the story of God uh, for a year now, and one of the convictions that sort of got this whole thing rolling back in January was that um, all of us live a narrative. All of us live out of a story. It doesn't matter if you follow Christ or not. We're all sort of living out of a particular narrative. And one of the things that often happens is that we, we allow other narratives to shape the story rather than letting God's story shape the story. So for the last year, we've been walking through the Bible from the book of Genesis to today, which is Matthew. And the whole point of that is to find ourselves in the story, to get ourselves in the story, and to let us be a storied people. For Israel, this was really clear for them. They knew the story. They knew their story, their identity as a people, who their God was, what it meant like to navigate the cultures around them, what it meant like to treat one another. And Israel was not very good at it. They oftentimes were faithless. And at the same time, they understood that their primary story was being written by God. And that's super important for us as well. For many believers, I think the Bible is something that we treat like, uh, we, we just pick these little verses out and we treat them almost like fortune cookies. Like the little fortunes in a fortune cookie. Like, oh, isn't that sweet? And we tack them onto our life. But what happens when we just pick and choose is that we miss the fullness of the narrative. We miss the magnitude of what God is actually doing in the world through Christ and in you and through his people. So today we come to the New Testament. And if you haven't been reading along, I'd encourage you, I really would encourage you to start now. Like to read through the New Testament with us. Uh, Starting the book of Matthew, you can read about four chapters a day. Um... And and to let the story of God kind of define your story, to write your story. And as we come to the book of Matthew, we come to really this picture of Christ that Matthew writes for us as the fulfillment of everything that's happened up until this point. Have you ever, like, asked the question, I wonder what... I wonder what it would be like to meet Jesus. Like, what, was, what is Jesus really like? And then my mind is sort of twisted, and I think, what if, what if there were some things about that meaning that were really disappointing? For instance, what if, what if you met him and he was kind of a dork, right? Like, like, what if he wasn't anything like what you're imagining him to be? What if you were driving and he pulled out his... His Android, and not his iPhone. And what if he plugged it in, and it was like polka music or something? He was like, ah, isn't this awesome? And you're like, what if he pulled up to you, next to you on a fixie bike, 
And he was in an SUV drinking like truck stop coffee out of a styrofoam cup. See, no, we're not laughing now, are we? We're like, well, Jesus wouldn't. Jesus would not. <laughs> in Atlanta, he would. Like, what if when you got to the gates of heaven, he had a really creepy voice, like, welcome to my kingdom. <laughs> and you just kind of look around, and you're like, uh, I don't know. He had a weird laugh that the whole room just kind of stopped and stared at each other. Well, well, we don't usually think in those ways. What we assume is that If I met Jesus, I'd totally like him because he'd totally be like me, right? Of course he's not going to have a styrofoam cup full of truck stop coffee. He's God. He knows his coffee, right? (laughs) He would listen to the music I listen to. He would dress like I dress. He would, and what we do is we just kind of bring him into our culture and we make him just like us which is not a good way to go. Because if I get to heaven and Jesus is just like you, I'm going to be really disappointed. (laughs) Just like you would be if he was just like me. So who is he? What is he like? How would we get to know that in a way that mattered beyond just opinions or funny ideas? Well, Matthew gives us a picture In fact, the whole of the New Testament gives us a picture as well as the old. And in Matthew, he shows us that Christ is our king. But not just any king, he's a beautiful king. And I, I use the word beauty because there's something bigger at stake with us when it comes to faith. We're not supposed to just like Jesus. Or think Jesus is cool. We're we're really not invited into just signing some sort of doctrinal statement that says, yeah, I, I agree with Jesus. But we're invited to love Jesus. To fall in love with Jesus. And if Jesus is just like us, that can be difficult to do. But if Jesus is all that scripture reveals him to be, then you get to see how absolutely beautiful he is. And I use the word beauty because, I mean, sometimes that gets just framed in our minds like that's art or a sunset. But, but have you ever heard someone say, how was your vacation? Oh, it was beautiful. How was that dinner? It was beautiful. It's that it, it wasn't just that there was food and drink there. Like something bigger happened in that experience that transcended the senses and captured my heart. And I could say, oh, it's, it's beautiful. It's good. It's wonderful. It's amazing. Well, Matthew paints a picture for us of how beautiful Christ is is as our king. So look with me at verse 1. It says this of chapter 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, 
the son of Abraham. Now remember, we've been in the story. The people who are hearing this have been in the story. And they know what he's saying here. He's saying that this is, I'm going to tell you the story of Jesus, the spirit-anointed one that God had promised from ages back. And this Jesus is the son of David. Back in that story of David, David was promised by God to have a son on his throne. His kingdom would endure forever. Matthew's going, it's, this is him, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham, if we are a storied people, we remember that God chose Abraham and he said, through your seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed. There would be one that comes from Abraham that would be the blessing and the hope, not just of Israel, but of all people. And Matthew saying, this is Jesus. He's here. That Jesus is the promised Messiah of Israel and the king of the world. And so he goes through this genealogy to show this is the one. Now if you start your gospel that way, then you create lots of expectation. And the people that are drawn to this book are drawn to the revelation of who Christ is is. And I want us to walk through just just four or five different passages today, and I want you to see how beautiful Jesus is. Look at chapter 4 with me. Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested. Here's what it says. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, you can flick back to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Because remember, these are a storied people. So what would come to their mind when they hear him say those words? Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, it says this. Remember, as Moses is telling Israel, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then fed you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What is is Jesus doing here in the wilderness? Well, Israel was supposed to... Be faithful to God, and in her faithfulness to God, she would mediate in a sense. She would reflect and display and stand between, be be sort of a priest to the world, and she failed miserably. She was unfaithful, just like we're unfaithful. 
So what Jesus is doing in chapter 4 is he's doing what Israel was supposed to do, what Israel couldn't do, what Israel failed to do. He is allowing himself to be tested as God, the Son, takes on the fullness of humanity. And in that test, to be the faithful one to the Father, so that through his faithfulness, The beauty of the Father through the revelation of the faithful Son would be given to us. And we would be given His faithfulness to the Father. That is a good King. That is a compassionate King. That is a loving King. A King who looks out at His humanity and says they can not do it, but I will do it for them. He is a faithful son of Israel so that you and I could be sons and daughters of God. Okay, turn to chapter 5. Chapter 5 through 7, Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of the most spectacular sermons ever. But within that, he's taking the Old Testament law and he's, he's reinterpreting, he's, he's bringing it to light. He's pulling out the heart of that Old Testament law. Now, for Israel, one of the, one of the disappointments that Jesus was to them was that he wasn't the powerful, prideful, patriotic king that they had hoped for. They wanted him to come with power and might and destroy Caesar and Rome and to put Israel in this prosperous political position in the world that day. But Jesus came humble and very, very different. His kingdom would be upside down. It would look radically different from the kingdoms of the world. And so he says in chapter 5, verse 1, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That sounds nothing like Caesar. doesn't sound like anything that could overthrow Rome. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek, they'll inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they'll be filled. Blessed are the merciful, they'll be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they'll see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, they'll be called children of God. Do you see where he's going? Like everything about this is upside down. So his kingdom, in one sense, is a disappointment. If you were looking for a national pride to take over the world. But if you were but if you were mourning, if you were poor in spirit, if you were a person who didn't like violence, ah, this kingdom, this kingdom is is for you. This is the kingdom your heart longs for. This is the kingdom that makes the world put to right. This is the kingdom where peace and joy are the character of the kingdom. 
And so he goes on to, to bring out the heart of the whole Old Testament law. And in verse 17, he says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament law so that you can receive his faithfulness to it. The law was, was vast. It was way past just the Ten Commandments. And by the time that Jesus comes on the scene, the religious community had created this these hoops and restrictions. The law very much felt like a legal thing. Like if you ran a stoplight, you broke the law. Well, the law felt like that to people. And rather than being brought to God by it, they were being crushed by it. And Jesus brings out the heart of the law, which actually reveals not just a behavior of righteousness, but what a righteous heart looks like. And it also reveals that we don't have it, but Jesus does. And he fulfills the law so that you can receive his faithfulness in him. Turn to chapter 9. One of the things that uh, Matthew's gospel does even more so than ever is he points back to the story more and more than, mo- than, than any of the other gospel writers do. And he shows Jesus as the fulfillment of promises and prophecies of the whole of the Old Testament. It's like over a hundred Old Testament citations. And you hear it, he fulfilled this. He He did this to accomplish that. And so in chapter 9, verse 11, an Old Testament quote that Jesus keeps pulling out comes from Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. But essentially, Jesus meets Matthew, the gospel writer, and he's a tax collector. Nobody liked tax collectors. Um, it, It wasn't like just the IRS, just some some group out there. It was a guy who would come and he would extract the money from you, from his own people. So he was despised by pretty much everyone. And Jesus comes to meet him. He says, come and follow me. And so Matthew throws this party, the only party a real good sinner knows how to throw, which is probably not an appropriate one. And the Pharisees are not happy with the fact that Jesus would go to that party And in verse 11 it says, When the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That's Hosea 6.6. For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinner. Turn to chapter 12. Again, it's sort of a similar situation. Jesus is with his disciples and they're hungry and it's the Sabbath and they pick some grain from the corn or some corn uh, in the cornfields. And as they're doing this, the Pharisees freak out because they have taken this beautiful thing, this, this gift called Sabbath. 
the gift that God gives us to remember, look, you aren't, you don't work for Egypt, you don't work for Pharaoh, you don't work for Caesar, you belong to me. And so stop and rest and play and realize that the world goes on because I'm in charge of it. And they had taken that sort of gift and they had added a whole bunch of restrictions to it. Like you couldn't walk this far on the Sabbath and you couldn't do that on the Sabbath. And if you broke the Sabbath, they were sort of like the religious police. And so here Jesus is just totally enjoying the Sabbath like a bad Christian. And, and he's eating on the Sabbath and the Pharisees confront him on it in verse 7. He says, if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would have not condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. That this is the King who gives rest to the world. This is the one for whom Hosea kept talking about I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I want you to get off your religious treadmills. I want you to quit giving me things that don't come from your heart. I want you to quit going through the motions. I want to see what's actually there. The question that we all need to answer this morning is, do you love Jesus? Do you love him? Because he desires mercy, not sacrifice. He desires relationship, not religion. He desires honesty, not false religiosity. Jesus is the promised merciful king that the Old Testament's promised and told us of. Look at chapter 11, verse 25. I want you to see these three pictures of how beautiful Christ is. At that time, verse 25, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is the gentle revealer of the Father who takes our burden and gives us rest for our soul. This is a king who is humble who isn't making demands or placing demands, but is inviting you to come. To come, you who are weary. To come, you who are burdened. 
to come you for whom life and sin and brokenness has crushed you, where your soul is sleepless and restless, come to him. Because he wants to reveal his father to you. He wants you to take his easy yoke and his light burden as he carries your heavy yoke and your heavy burden. He wants you to find rest for your soul. That is a beautiful God. That is a gracious king. That is, that is a God who is full of compassion. And I wonder, do you, do you love him? Are you attracted to him? Do you see how beautiful he, he is? Look at chapter 12, verse 15. At this point, the Pharisees are more than disappointed with him. They actually are attempting to kill him. And so in verse 15 of chapter 12, it says, Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. And a large crowd followed him, and he healed all who were ill, and he warned them not to tell others about him. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Again, Matthew saying, this is the story. I know the story. This is the one the story points to. And this Isaiah quote is this, here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love. In whom I delight, I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name the nations will put their hope. Jesus is the servant king, right? What is this Jesus like? Well, he's a servant. He's a king who has come not to be served but to serve. And he is the chosen one whom the Father loves. Who has been anointed by the Spirit. I will put my spirit on him. And he will proclaim justice. And he will take these people, these bruised reeds, these smoldering wicks, and in his gentle mercy, he'll restore them. Now we all want to be, we want to be strong, we want to be tough, we want to be the kind of people that can stand before this king and say, look, I know I'm a mess today, King Jesus, but if you just give me a week, I'm going to pull this thing together and you will be proud of me. Now, that is absolute garbage in terms of theology. It's totally BS. I believe it every day. Every day. It's my default. It's your default. We go, listen, tomorrow I'm going to get a journal. I'm going to start journaling. You're going to see this whole, this whole train wreck gets turned around once I get my moleskin, right? <laughs> Moleskins are more spiritual than the Bible. Once I get that, he goes, no, no, absolutely not. 
You are not going to make yourself an oak. You're a bruised weed. Reed, you're a smoldering wick. Reeds are these very fragile things. Uh, my son played saxophone in, in junior high. He was, he was phenomenal. Um, Bryce is always phenomenal at that. But if that reed broke or was bruised, it could make a, an interesting note. Um, a really loud, bad note. And, and what we want to do is say, like, we ha- we're tough, we're strong. He says, no, you're this fragile thing that is on the point of breaking. But I will not break you. He talks about a smoldering wick like a candle. Like if you come back for the 12, all these candles are gone. The people of the 12 don't care. We don't relight them for them. We, are not a, we don't serve them well. But, but, but what happens is they begin to just smolder. The, the wax goes out. The, the wick goes out. And they start to compete for will the flame live or die. Anything could walk by and just put it out. And Jesus says, I will not put it out. The sin in our hearts, the sin in our life, the pain that we've been in, the pain that we've caused, the life that we have that is never going to work the way we want it to, makes people burdened and weary, makes us bruised and smoldering. And what God doesn't want is for you and I to come and say, tomorrow I will get that figured out. Don't worry. That is not the story. He knows the story. The reason he came is because you and I can't fulfill the law. We can't be faithful to God. We can't heal our own sickness. We can't heal our own burdens. We can't make our bruised reed an oak tree or our smoldering wick of flame. We can't. So come honestly to this Jesus because he is this good and beautiful and kind. And he will receive you. He is the servant king who embraces the bruised reeds, bruised lives, smoldering faith. He receives you, and he alone will heal you and be your hope. Are you attracted to him? Do you love him? One of the great Puritans, Richard Sibbs, a lot of the Puritans seem quite staunchy. Um, he did too. If you look at the pictures, they, they didn't take great pictures back then. Um, they had to sit there the whole time, you know, for a portrait. You can't smile with a big cheesy grin. There were no selfies. Let's just put it that way. Um, but, but he wrote a sermon, one of his, the all-time best sermons, uh, called The Bruised Reed on this passage. And I want you to see this quote of how he puts it. What, what a support to our faith is this. That God the Father, the party offended by our sins, is so well pleased with the work of redemption. And what a comfort is this that seeing God's love rests on Christ 
as well pleased in him, we may gather that he is as well pleased with us if we be in Christ. For his love rests in a whole Christ, in Christ mystical as well as Christ natural, because he loves him and us with one love. Let us therefore embrace Christ and in him God's love and build our faith safely on such a Savior that is furnished, meaning given to us, with so high a commission that is bringing us to him, the Father. See here for our comfort a sweet agreement of all three persons. The Father gives a commission to Christ The Spirit furnishes and sanctifies to it, and Christ himself executes the office of a mediator. Our redemption is founded upon the joint agreement of all three persons of the Trinity. Is that not beautiful? Is that not a God that is attractive? Is that not better than porn, than money, than whatever that other thing is that you find more attractive. You see, I don't believe that we can somehow will our way in to what God asks us. Because he put this word in there, love. Love God with all your heart soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. If he said, serve, we could all just dig down and do it. Serve God, serve your neighbor. Study God. Study your neighbor? No, don't do that. Um, But love requires affection. And we do not love God first. The only love that we have is a love that's a response to an affection that he has already displayed for you. This is the king who who welcomes us into his presence. Can you imagine if I said, hey, the president is coming to church next week. Would you dress different? Would you look different? Would you act different? Some of you are like, no, no. Uh, Others of you might, right? But this is a king in his humility who says, no, I, I want the mourners to come to me. I want the poor to come to me. I want the afflicted in my presence. I want those who have been beaten up by their own stupid sin and who have had life crush them, I want them to come to me. And see the Father's love for them in me. And what does he do? What does he do with your burden? What does he do with your mourning? What does he do with our poverty? He puts it on himself. He literally puts on our human frailty. So that through his mourning in the garden, through his poverty on the cross through his affliction in his death, that you would enter his kingdom and he would be your king. 
that he would purchase you and rescue you so that you could taste his kindness and his beauty and his mercy and his compassion and his grace in his kingdom, which is characterized by peace and by joy. How do you respond? How do you respond to a God that beautiful? How, what do we do? How, like, what are we supposed to do right now? To see him this lovely, what does it require of me? And here's what I would tell you. Let yourself be humbled by your sin, bruised by your pain, afflicted by your own sickness, and come to Jesus. Don't hold any of it back. Don't hope in your own efforts to heal you. Look to him. Look to him only to see his mercy, to receive his healing, to receive his forgiveness. Look only to him, and I promise you, he will not reject you, but will meet you. Even now, even today, ready here to meet you. There are going to be people at these doors ready to pray, to help through the Holy Spirit for you to meet this beautiful King. Matthew, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says this in Matthew six thirty three. Seek first his kingdom, and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Come, come today. Come and grab hold of Christ, and his love and his beauty is for you. Let's pray. Father, this morning we come to you in the name of Jesus by the power of the Spirit. And God, I I pray today that we would see just a glimpse, a taste of the beauty of Christ. That we would trust in Jesus uh, beyond anything, God, that we have nothing but we would trust Jesus' faithfulness to you, his love for you, his salvation for us, that our whole hope for our life would be to know and love Jesus. And I thank you, God, that, that we love because he first loved us. You first loved us. And so we come to you today bruised, smoldering, burdened, and weary, desperate, desperate to be touched by the grace of Christ. Would you give us the courage to come to you honestly with no hope other than to lay hold of Jesus and look to him alone. We pray in his name. Amen. 
We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you're interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at www.amargodaycommunity.com. Thanks a lot for listening.